Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Long Monday Podcast. I will be one of your co-hosts for this episode, Mike Kane, and I am joined at the virtual table this week with Caleb Salibi. Caleb, how are you? What's up, my man? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing good, too. I'm good. I'm great. Unfortunately, Jason cannot be with us, but luckily, in his place, we have two very special guests, the lovely ladies of the Catch Up and Clue In podcast, Dara Potts and Amelia Dobbs. How are you two? Hi! Good! We're good. I'm doing good. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you two on. Um, And if I could actually start this, uh, usually I would ask the guests, you know, give us a little introduction to yourself, but I actually want to start with something different if I can. So... The way I met Dara and Amelia was that we all went to Coastal. However, I was a senior when you two were freshmen. Um, So I was on my way out while you two were on your way in. But the thing that really introduced me to you two in terms of acting was the first year I had my master's program was your guys' sophomore year. And the two of you were in the show called Really Really, which if you're familiar with the show at all, is a very powerful, very, um, it's, it's a difficult piece in terms of its content, but it's also a very important piece to speak towards. And the two of you in this show are just giving this like very forward, hard-hitting performance, and I'm just like, wow, these two are crazy. Like these two are really something. And I only knew you two as you know just people who I would see in the hallway or seeing these other ways, but to see you two in that regard was really something. So from there, then you know, how do you two get involved with theater? So this is the part where I go into introducing yourselves. How'd you get to really, really as a turnout? Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You mean, just to clarify again, you mean like, how did I get to Coastal? Like, what was I doing before that and all of that? Yeah. Okay, sweet. To rephrase, I guess, how did you end up at Coastal Carolina University, eventually in a production of Really, Really is what you Yeah. Isn't that Um, the question? Isn't it? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate your kind words. Um, I think everybody was kind of surprised I made it to Coastal because I'm from California and there, at least in our department, there weren't that many people from California, at least not when I was a freshman. I was the only one in my class. And so I um, started, I was a competitive dancer growing up. Uh, I didn't really do theater until I got into high school. Um, and it wasn't at my public school. I sang, I did opera in like middle school, early high school. And then I auditioned for a arts boarding school in Michigan, Interlochen Arts Academy. A little school called Interlochen. Okay, sometimes Dara doesn't say it because she's very modest, but she went to Interlochen. Yeah. Big deal. So so I went there for my junior and senior year of high school. And that, I, I majored... They call it major, which is like weird for a high school, but I majored in theater Um, and or I guess my focus was theater. And that's when I got into it and I was like way out of my league. Like I remember showing up and people were like, "Okay, like let's make our objectives for our scene. And I think I called my mom in tears and I was like, Mom, what's an objective? Like I'm so lost. And. Basically, my two years there, I I learned a ton, decided I want to do theater. They totally helped with the audition process because getting a BFA is complicated and there's lots that goes into it. Um, I auditioned at my senior year of high school and I didn't like like my options. I just wasn't about it. Um, Nothing felt right. So I took a gap year and I moved to London and I studied musical theater there for a year. And I was like, okay, yeah, I still like this. I still want to do this. Let me audition again. And I did the whole whole audition process all over again. And I got a few options, Coastal being one of them, for physical theater, which was something I had never heard of. And I was like, what is this? And what am I signing up for if I come here? I visited the campus. I met the professors and everything. And I was, I think the big takeaway is I was still like, I don't really know what physical theater is, to be honest. However, like everybody was so welcoming. The faculty was so kind to me. My audition process to get into Coastal at Unifieds was really one of the best. Like everything was just seeming really great. And I had a good feeling when I toured the campus. And so I committed to Coastal and went there for my undergrad. And I, you know, got cast in a little show called Really Really my sophomore year, and and that brings us up to speed. Yes. <laughs> We're going to cap there for a second, but I do want to go from there as well. But Amelia, how about on your end? Um, thank you again for the kind things you said about our acting when we were 19. We appreciate it. 
it was quite a process. We enjoyed ourselves um, thoroughly getting to play best friends as best friends. And roommates as roommates. And, and roommates, yes. And all the things that come with that. Um, I, When I was younger, I played just about every sport I could. I was a horse girl, which surprises no one who knows me now. That was kind of my whole shtick. But I really liked to sing. I sang in my church choir. And I got into, I did like a musical theater camp with a community college. I was like, oh, I really like this. You know, and I was in middle school and I started doing a little bit more. And then I auditioned for this performing arts high school in my town because I was like why not anyone can audition and I got in and I was like oh this place is really serious and I really love this I'm spending all my time doing it it's great but I'm gonna go to college and I'm gonna major in chemistry because I really liked school and I liked science and then I think it was my sophomore or junior year we had some you know person whoever they were from New York was in we did a little master class I sang a song I think from Jekyll and Hyde the musical which is like objectively a terrible musical and has some very amazing music at the same time and he was like you could probably do this for your life and I was like okay and then I thought about going to college for it and then my sweet sweet parents drove and flew me all over the country, literally all over the country, to audition for musical theater PFAs. And the first one I went to, I was accepted to early to Coastal Carolina. They were like, yeah, come to our school in November. And I was like, thanks so much. I have about 18 other auditions and then I'll get back to you. And then I did all of those other auditions. I got into other schools, blah, blah, blah. And then I actually ended up choosing Coastal, which is hilarious. I look back and I think, oh, you could have saved yourself a lot that senior year, but I think I ended up at the right place. Like Dara said, I just got a really good feel from the campus. You know, it felt like some place that was very accepting of all kinds of um, creative initiatives coming from students. And I felt like it was a place that I didn't just have to be in like a little tiny musical theater box that I could do plays and I could do Shakespeare. Um, ending up in Really Really was great because I was like, cool, you know, I can be in a play and I can act and that kind of set my trajectory going forward. So that's kind of how I ended up doing this theater thing. So were you two in any shows your freshman year that, to any capacity, I guess I should say, on stage? I was in Marisol, which was a student production, which J.P. McLaurin was the director of that. So that was <laughs> the, am I remembering that right? That was the only thing I did freshman year, right? I'm yeah. like looking at Amelia. I'm like, Amelia, did I do something else? <laughs> you yeah, did that, Marisol. That was it. Because I, did I didn't do anything in the spring. Succeed? Is yeah. that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I asked that, and I like that you mentioned JP because he was on our recording of The Raven that we did a while back. So some audience members may remember that name. He loved JP. Uh, JP yeah. is incredible. A real yeah. theater talent. But yeah, the, the thing that I bring that up because a lot of freshman students um, at, that I've noticed at my time at Coastal, you know, they're for the freshman year, they don't really get cast in like major roles for shows. They'll get like side roles here and there and big musicals and they'll be like ensemble pieces, which is great, but you don't really get like heavy meaty roles. Mm-hmm. But then come your sophomore year, I guess from my end, I would argue as audience member, you two got pretty meaty roles in this play that we've mentioned called Really Really. I mean, Again, uh, audiences who are not aware, um, in fact, you two could sum this up better than I can. It's a very, it's a very poignant piece, but it's also a very difficult piece in its subject matter. Uh, but I think that the two of you having that your sophomore year, I mean, that had to be a big deal, I think. I think what really stuck with me about Really Really, and what I'll say for people who either know the show or don't know the show, like what it, what it encapsulates is a alleged rape. And it's the night after a party at a college, and it turns into this he said, she said shitstorm. And it's very intense. It doesn't give the audience an answer, which a lot of people don't like. A lot of people think it's a very flawed show and that, you know, some people take or leave the writing. That's just personal opinion. You know, everybody can feel how they feel about it. What I loved about it is that everybody was talking about this show good things, bad things. And what I love, what I thought was so powerful on a college campus is that a lot of people were talking about sexual assault and rape. And that needs to be talked about on college campuses because it's a huge problem on college campuses. So I remember, you know, sometimes feeling insecure, like, oh, there's a lot of people, um, you know, there were some like upperclassmen. And of course, it always matters what the upperclassmen think. And they were like, this is such a terrible play. And of course, you guys are doing a great job in it. But it's just it's just such a bad play. And I was really insecure about that. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, I'm so proud to have been a part of that because of the discussion it prompted on our campus. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I I think what was unique about this show, at least kind of from what I saw my time at Coastal, was that it got a lot of interest from a lot of people that didn't really know much about the theater department. And I think that that was, like Amelia said, the topic is pretty, unfortunately, relatable. Um, We would hope sexual assault wasn't a relatable topic. However, you're on a college campus, you know somebody who knows somebody or something. Somehow it's on your mind at least a little bit. And also the way that it was written was so close to the way that we were talking at the time. And so I think that that was interesting too, that there was no, like literally no language barrier of this piece, right? It's not like you're asking other students to come see Shakespeare and this is their first time really trying to navigate heightened text or anything like that, like totally accessible in the delivery of the content and also the content itself. And so I think that that was cool to be involved with. Also, the only time I've been in a production where people are more treating it like a sporting event than a play because there was (laughs) hooting and hollering and like talking back while we're acting, which was definitely unique to me. But I think it's because people kind of maybe, maybe forgot that they were in mm-hmm. the theater, maybe? I'm not sure, but yeah. But that raises an interesting point. You know, we want our audience members to be engaged, um, mm-hmm. which with really, really, as audience member, for my part, I mean, a lot. unfortunately, you go to a lot of Coastal Productions and there's a lot of students who are forced to be there as part of their, you know, Theater 101 class. So they're just there. They're either talking to their friend or on their phone or doing one of those things, like make, unfortunately falling asleep in some cases, maybe. But with really, really, I mean, you had so much student and audience engagement because the subject matter for a lot of them was so relatable to what their experiences were. But then it gets to a point of, like you mentioned, sporting event where, you know, they're talking back to the characters. And this is in the black box at Edwards. I mean, this is where audience members are five five feet away (laughs) from you in some cases. Like you could literally touch their shoulder if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I guess from your perspective then, I mean, this is perspective for me and Caleb to kind of consider as well. uh, Do we want that? in theater to have our audiences so engaged that it sort of becomes like sporting eventy. I mean, I would argue that that's what we've wanted in theater for a long time, you know, not since the beginning of theater, but as you know, Dara mentioned Shakespeare and how the language is so different. But if you think about the people who paid what a penny or half a penny to be on the ground at Shakespeare shows, like they were the lower class, they were throwing tomatoes, they were shouting obscenities, they were the great unwashed and uncouth, and they were there in the theater and they were super loud. And it was all about that interaction with the audience. And, you know, I don't think that every single theater today needs to like emulate the globe. Like, I don't think we need to do that. Um, But I really, I really, I enjoyed it in really, really, Um, I never felt like people were like yelling at me, Amelia, in an aggressive way. I just, I just felt like people were super into it and I felt like we were meeting young people. I sound so old when I say that. Oh God. Um, (laughs) I felt like we were meeting students where they were with their language and the topics that they were interested in or experiencing. I don't think it's for everything, but I think people today are so used to watching movies, which is a completely passive experience. You know, especially now that we're not going to movie theaters, we're sitting in our own houses. Like, you don't even have the collective gasp um, at the jump scare in the horror movie in the theater because you're with other people and you're having that ritual and that community. So I think in theater, people don't know how to participate anymore. They just sit there and take it like it's a movie. And so when people are into it, even if it's maybe disruptive or in the moment you think, oh, this is really, you know, throwing me for a loop, I think it's really good. I agree with what you're saying, Amelia. I mean, I think thinking back on that show, the thing that kind of stands out in my head is, wow, like what an energy exchange. Do you know what I mean? I never Mm -hmm. knew what I was going (laughs) to hear or feel or like what the vibe was going to be. And that's what's so exciting performing live theater is it's always different every night. But especially in that show, like, I had no idea what was going to go on, but every I could feel just like so much. And like you said, Mike, everybody's like, you could touch them if you wanted to. Literally, they're mm-hmm. so close. So you could just feel it. And yeah, maybe maybe the like talking back at me while I'm doing a scene was like a little 
different sometimes. I had to make sure I didn't laugh or whatever, you know, that's (laughs) another thing to navigate. But yeah, the having audience members so engaged, having it be this live event, it's just as unique for them as it is for me every time that they see it. So maybe, maybe not like a sporting event, but Mm -hmm. yes, having that kind of really active, palpable transfer of energy going on, I think is the draw of live theater. Mm-hmm. That that raises a, a question um, that I have for the two of you, which is, so we want, we want to spur the audience to action, right? That's, mm-hmm. that is a goal of theater. But when we have this element, or the, especially this level of audience interaction and engagement that you guys are describing happen during your show, what do you do as an actor? Because we, we don't want to be taken out of the world of the play. So what I'm curious, as an actor, I'm curious what you guys did. Most of the time, I really just focused on my scene partner. Like, I think that I was, I would say I was like pretty in tune with Lee as a character. And like, I was really trying to practice everything I was learning at the time and everything and really, you know, try to just be her, think like her, all those different things. So for the most part, I would say whenever there was other stuff or rustling or anything, even in the black box, even if it's not that same like kind of disruption maybe that I was talking about then, but another time I performed in the black box, it's small. If someone moves or picks up their phone, you see it. So just really trying to focus on whoever I was doing a scene with and and actually listen to what they were saying, let it hit me so that I'm so occupied with that that whatever else is going on, I'm not so distracted by that. I do remember one time though, one night, somebody yelled out at me like, you're a liar and I just was like oh my god what like and it really did take everything in me not to laugh I don't think I did but I was just like what like oh my goodness I was very caught off guard was this in response to your character to my character yeah they they didn't like how Lee was handling the situation and 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 I was like she is lying right now so like you're right but like oh my goodness wow I'd forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny that you say, like, you just really try to, like, focus in. Because that is what we were being taught. Like, we were doing Uta Hagen. And what are your three questions before you go on stage? And very introspective. And I look back, and I'm still this way on stage now. Like, I am, like, a gerbil in an aquarium just looking around and being like, what is happening out there? Like, I swear I see every cell phone. I see every person with their eyes closed. Like, I am... And I'm not, this is not always a good thing, you know, because it's most of the time I'm like, oh no, like what's happening? What's going on out there? But I feel like in, luckily for my character, a lot of the time I was standing on stage giving a speech to a, to an imaginary audience. And I was like, well, how, how lucky for me that there's an actual audience here. And, you know, they might be clearing their throats and they might be murmuring, they might be doing things. And like, it's appropriate for me to take that in while I'm acting. That was a gift. And, and I think that as... I got, as I do get older and get a little bit more experience under my belt, much more than I had during Really Really, where if things happened, I was like, what? You know, what do do I do? Um, Now I feel like those interactions from the audience are are gifts because we're always supposed to look for those things, you know, with our scene partner and in the moment, things that throw us off guard, that are unexpected. Like that's, we call that, we say, oh, what a gift. Like that was such a great thing. And I'm like, oh, the audience gives those to us all the time for free and it really is a surprise because it's you don't have to pretend that this line you've heard 80,000 times is shocking because somebody just said something and it makes me think I I feel like I had a a full circle moment my senior year when I was entering for a musical and it was just me and one other guy on stage and supposed to be running into this hospital and I slipped and like I saw the gates of heaven open like I truly almost fell and died I slipped I do not know how I landed on my feet but I continued started singing and then somewhere it just happened somewhere in what I was singing like somebody in the audience said something I had a line about slipping or almost dying and I got to like reference what happened when I came in because everybody saw it you could not miss it and then the audience laughed and it was this cool moment of like okay we all saw that I really messed up but we're all in it together so it's okay 
the, I think the thing that people, well, one, students who are forced to see shows don't consider, uh, but also people, I mean, I forgot this myself going through college, is that you're there to learn. It's not, you're not there because, you know, you, I mean, unless you're egotistical, that you go in, you're thinking like, oh, I'm a master at this thing, so I'm just going to, you know, get a degree in it. It's like, that's not the point of it, right? We're all here to learn. And the beauty of the theater program is that it's young, well, mostly young people trying to advance their skills in theater. You can have moments of learning on stage in a production. For general audience, they probably don't think about that, that like this is a learning experience. Yes, it's a show that we're putting on for you that you have to pay for, that you know, there's profit involved, but like for the people on stage and for this production, it's a learning experience for them. So then in that way, I guess, what did you two see as the true value of not just your theater education, but a coast, like a college education uh, in the current age that you live? Because Another reason we wanted to have you on is because you two are recent postgrads from a college experience from theater degrees. Uh, we're going to get to another thing that is a big thing going on in the world, obviously, that kind of relates to that. But for now, though, before we bring up the elephant in the room, you know, <laughs> the value of your two's education uh, in a theater program, especially a BFA theater program. I mean, how has that influenced your views of theater and stuff like that? When I was deciding if I wanted to go to college, with a BFA, you can go the liberal arts route, you can go the conservatory route, or you can go no college route. And so the BFA, liberal arts, is what Coastal is. You go, you get your theater BFA, but you're in a liberal arts college, so you're still required to take math and science and all those other things that come along with a liberal arts degree. You could do the conservatory route where you don't have any of those liberal arts requirements and all you do is theater, dance, music, whatever, all day long, for all four years. Or you could not go to school and take classes in some city you choose to move to and start auditioning right away. I definitely wasn't ready to not go to school because that scared me. (laughs) And I toyed with the idea of a conservatory, but honestly, I just, I I wanted to learn more unrelated to theater. I just, I didn't want my whole life for the next four years to be one thing I felt like there was more to the world than theater and I wanted to try and learn it I didn't want to take math but you know it's a necessary evil I guess you made it you made it yeah I I got it I, I, I passed but I am really glad that I went to coastal because yes I got to do my theater degree and I learned so much in that regard But also, I got to take classes at Coastal that really, really helped shape who I am and and I learned so much from. But also, going to a liberal arts college, I met so many people that didn't do theater or didn't share my interests or weren't creatives at all. And that also helps to shape who I am as a person. I I don't think at 18 years old, 19 years old, I was ready to decide, like, I am only committing to theater for the rest of my life and to me a conservatory kind of felt like that decision and I was just like yeah I want to do this but I'm not ready to put myself in a box where that's all I'm gonna explore right now. I was um my two other schools I almost went to uh you know it was down to three and I ended up going to coastal but they were both conservatories And I remember thinking, like, yeah, I want the liberal arts education. Um, And I'm so glad I went to Coastal for a number of reasons. You know, everything Dara talked about with the liberal arts degree was great. Um, A big highlight for both of us was we got to go study in Italy. Like, Mm -hmm. we lived in a villa in Tuscany and studied Commedia dell'arte, ate a bunch of food, drank a bunch of wine. It was great. It was a dream. Like, it, it, looking back, I'm like, that is a ridiculous, ridiculous, very cool experience that we had when we were 20. So, like, that was awesome. Um, and then I was able to get a minor because I came in with a bunch of AP credits because I thought I was going to be a chemistry major. So I was like, let's get this dumb shit out of the way. And then I had all this time, and so I got a women's and gender studies minor, which was so great because I got to take all these classes. I took, like, women in Islam and social injustice and world religions and just all the stuff that it's not going to get me an engineering job for sure, but I feel like I have a really well-rounded education. I have a bachelor's degree, which is, you know, kind of a useful thing to have right now um, in this weird, weird job market. And uh, as, as I saw on Twitter the other day, it was like, what are you going to do with a liberal arts degree? 
And then I was like, oh, I don't know, not get brainstormed by a cult and storm the Capitol. <laughs> and it just made me laugh because I was like, you know what? I can think critically now. So mm-hmm. that was helpful after four years. And I can act, hopefully, a little bit, too. <laughs> well, Amelia, you said the, the catchphrase that I was alluding to, which is this weird job market. So I feel like we have to talk about it. So you two, yeah. you know, you get your degrees in theater. You have, you know, your experience in college. You're ready to go out and tackle the world, right? And then a few months later, theater just kind of disappears. It kind of just goes up in the air, and it's all gone in a really awful, horrendous way. Um, and Caleb and I could certainly attest to this. You know, we were in show. We, I mean, Caleb just closed the show, and then a, what was it, Caleb? A few days later, everything shut down. It was down? about ex- exactly seven days after we closed. Yeah, you were right under the wire. Down. Yeah. The yeah. world closed. That's right. what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason, our other co-host, he was three day. He was in a tech week for a show, and then he was three days from opening that show, and then everything shut down. So the show just gone. And we sit here as four people who are so in love with this thing, and we've had almost a year at this point. We've been without it. So I mean, for you two, what was you know? How did you cope? I guess is the blunt way to put it. But also, you know, you have this post grad education. Your post grad student or post grad people and then the thing you went to college for the thing you studied and put so much time and effort to was gone so what are your perspectives on that it was insane when the shutdown happened and it just sort of gets crazier especially as we approach the year anniversary or whatever we're gonna call it of you know the shutdown in the united states like i remember being in new york and hearing you know there's a sickness in china and then a lot of people are sick in Italy. Um, and so I was in touch with like friends in Italy and I was like, what's happening? What Are you guys okay? And they're like, no. And then everything in New York. I mean, I had like three part-time jobs, auditions, what have you, and everything shut down in less than 24 hours. And I was like, this is not good. You know, it just was so jarring. And Dara and I talk about it all the time. We're like, we literally have a bachelor's degree in something that does not exist right now. Mm-hmm. I think it is slowly starting to come back. Um, and I think that people are still doing amazing creative things. I think there's a lot of ways to do theater that does not involve packing a bunch of people into a room. Unfortunately, I have not found anything that is the same for me. It's We're missing the ritual. We're missing the catharsis. Like We want to be with other people, and we want to breathe that same air and experience something with them. And right now, that could kill you. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just nuts. <laughs> yeah, I remember like pretty much the same as what Amelia said, like 24 hours. I was babysitting. I was auditioning. I was living in LA. Everything was weird. I felt like a lot of anxiety. And I called my boyfriend, and I was like, I'm gonna drive up to where you are like I just don't want to be alone like this is just feels weird the grocery store has really long lines and there's nothing on the shelves and I don't know what I'm gonna eat and I don't want to be alone and I never went back to LA like I just I moved out of my apartment and a couple months later and and that was that you know I never went back and so it, it it's kind of I think for the first couple months I didn't deal with the fact that this thing that I had put so much time and effort and energy into pursuing like went away kind of overnight I was just like hmm I'll wait I'll wait a little longer and I'll wait a little longer and a little Mm -hmm. longer and then you're like okay I I can't really keep waiting like this Mm -hmm. is getting a little ridiculous and making me sad uh and I was like, okay, I want a creative outlet. I really, I'm, that's, that's what it boils down to, right? Is that's what I'm missing is that creative outlet. I'm not the type of person that was going to start doing monologues in my bedroom in the middle of the pandemic to like sharpen the skills and practice. That would have made me really depressed because I'm like, oh, wow, like, I don't know what's going on with this industry and when it's coming back. And it just didn't feel right. And so that was kind of when I called Amelia and I was like, listen, I've been thinking about pandemic safe creative outlets. Have you heard of this thing called podcasting? (laughs) Should we try it? And we did that and I think it's going well. And it scratched the itch. Like 
I think it's obviously not the same as as theater or what we got our degree in, but like at at Coastal, some of my favorite things were talking to Amelia, challenging myself to learn more, but also so that's kind of like the podcast, but just making something, you know, making a podcast, editing it, creating it, getting to do the graphic design of it. Like I never really had experimented with that at all before but I'm really enjoying it so I it's weird because I don't know if this is like the right thing to say but I kind of feel like I haven't really thought about theater that much recently and I don't know if that's like a protective thing like if I think about it too much I'm gonna get sad or I'm just like I can't change this situation right now so let me put my effort into this other creative thing that is fulfilling that part of me and I can actually do something with that one right now so let me put my effort there and then when things change come back I don't know like I can reevaluate well Dara I don't want to open the wound but I have to ask you know (laughs) because when I found out that you two had a podcast I'm like oh awesome Amelia Dara they have this podcast I'll put money down it's on theater like it's got to be a theater podcast they got to talk about (laughs) theater topics every week and then I'm listening and I'm like this is awesome but they're not talking about theater as much as I thought they would Was it that? Was it to say, like, we want to talk about something else because theater is something we don't have right now, so let's focus on other things, or...? No, I I don't even think it was a conscious decision. Honestly, Amelia and I lived together. We didn't live together our freshman year, but we basically did. All of college, we lived together, and we just would have pretty much the conversations you hear us have on the podcast were what we would have in our living room. I missed my best friend. I was in a pandemic. I was not seeing anyone. And it was really comforting to kind of mimic what we would have done if we were together. And so sometimes theater comes up. Sometimes this movie we saw comes up or whatever it is. But also it's just like the world was crazy in 2020. Mm. Like that's not a revolutionary (laughs) statement. And there were a lot of things that I didn't understand and or things that I wanted to know more about and challenge myself to to think about and so this podcast selfishly became this place that I could stretch myself to learn and challenge myself to grow with someone who I was you know knew wouldn't judge me if I said something dumb or who would help me do those things and we didn't really know what it was going to be when we started but it's kind of morphed into like just picking some topic every week and challenging ourselves to think differently about it or think more about it or learn more about it and sometimes that's related to theater and and I don't think it was an intentional thing that like ouch like I don't want to put salt in the wound we're not talking about this but also like as individuals we have a lot of other interests too I think really you know when Dara proposed we do a podcast, I was like, we we can't do a podcast. Like, what, you know, podcasts are these very polished, very highly produced things that I listen to on my iPhone or I listen to on, you know, long road trips. Like, what do you mean? But, you know, now looking at it, I'm like, oh, a podcast is like actually a really, really good marriage of our theater degree and our liberal, liberal arts education. So we know how to talk to each other, you know, we know hopefully how to be engaging and interesting for a period at least. Um, And, you know, we learned the tech stuff. And then I think the subject matter, like Dara said, 2020 was insane. And we knew we liked having these conversations. Um, And it's been really fun to talk to people, especially people who are in theater, who I have mainly only talked with theater about because... You know, when you're around theater people, you talk about theater and, and a lot of the time it's like really fun and but sometimes it can feel like you're bringing work home or it's stressful. And so I've really enjoyed the podcast, like opening up new avenues and new conversations with people um, about different topics that I didn't even know we could engage in. So that's been kind of nice. And, you know, when theater, quote unquote, comes back, whenever that is, whatever that means, um, you know, maybe there'll be more of it in our podcast talk, or maybe there won't. And that would be okay with me. Well, the vibe I'm getting then is that when theater does come back, the podcast is still going to happen. I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) It was funny, you know, when Caleb and Jason and I first proposed this podcast of ours, The Long Monday, we were like, well, we want to do it because we don't have theater right now. So there's the joke that all the theater kids made podcasts when theater went away, which is kind of true. Kind of true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But then there was a point early on where we were like, well, do we keep doing this 
if theater comes back in the way we were used to and we're kind of like, yeah, we do. We kind of like it now. <laughs> I mean, it was response to COVID, but now that we're in the deep end of it, we're kind of like, this is awesome. We love doing this. And it's fun to have something that, you know, you're in charge of. Nobody's telling you what it is, like, especially as actors, you know, like I'm usually an actor in theater. I'm not usually a director or someone on the tech side of things that has a little bit more like palpable control. It's just like, oh, walk over there, Amelia, now sing this. All right, don't get hit by that set piece. Go out that wing. And it it's so cool to make something that every week we decide to do it. We pick the topic. We pick the guests. Like I found it very empowering and I found it an absolute um, application of the education I received at Coastal because we just kept hearing, well, just make your own stuff and put yourself in it. And I always thought that had to be a musical or a play. And, and, and now it's a podcast. <laughs> Have you two been keeping up with Coastal in terms of alumni now that you two are alumni of Coastal? I we were mean, on a lot of uh, Zoom calls this summer. Yeah, we were involved in the Zoom calls that were going on. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys are familiar with what we're referencing or not. I think so. Um, is I, it I affectionately called them the Coastal Solves Racism yes. uh, mm -hmm. Zoom calls, but they were in response to the murder of George Floyd and the uh, Black Lives Matter response to police violence against Black Americans this summer and just kind of a, a discussion with faculty and the dean um, and other staff members about how Coastal's theater department in particular, you know, has a lot of work do to do, like many departments do in many institutions, um, to be more inclusive, to promote more diversity. So it was kind of weird because we like graduated and then it was like fine for a little bit and then there was a pandemic and then we had all these Zoom calls and now... And like since then I haven't really heard much. It's kind of funny you asked me that question because five, ten minutes before I hopped on this, I saw on Facebook a um, Coastal Now video of the showcase that they're mm -hmm. filming, and I watched that, and I guess they're doing a virtual showcase and email blasting it to agents and casting directors all over the country, which honestly sounds great. Mm -hmm. They're going to get a lot more uh, of a wide net. You know, they, it doesn't just have to be people in New York they can have more control over their piece, which is maybe a good thing or a bad thing, depending on the individual, I guess. But I think that's awesome. It looks like they are uh, reacting and responding to the situation proactively. And I think that that's great. Yeah, I was happy when I saw they got to do a version of Showcase. Yeah, mm -hmm. it yeah it's nice to have that. That's part of the reason I ask is because as a theater student, for the two of you, you went through the entire theater college program with no pandemic on the plate. The Thank current God. student, yeah, right. The current <laughs> students now, though, however, they're going through an entire year of education without having shows to do. There's talk that the Romeo and Juliet that they wanted to do is going to turn into a podcast recording of Romeo and Juliet. And that, really? Yeah, that that's the way to avoid and still do the show, but not have it on stage. And it's like, I have wow. to wonder as current, yeah, right. I have to wonder as current theater student, if I'm in their shoes, I, at least from my perspective, I feel like there's a part of this educational process that I'm missing, which of course is unavoidable given the nature of the pandemic and what we need to do to adhere to social distancing and keep things safe. But do you feel that this current students that are going through the curriculum of let's say, Coastal's theater department are missing something because they don't have live performances uh, in the same way that we did. I think of course they are. I, and, but I also think that this group of kids who's in school right now, you know, no matter if they're seniors or freshmen, they are going to have a whole different type of resiliency. And hopefully the skills that come with that resiliency make up for the hands-on experience that has been lost. Mm -hmm. um, and I I just think, like, if I, if I had been in that situation, I would have been so devastated and I would have been so upset. Um, but I think now, you know, coming up on two years out of college, I, I just think, wow, like, 22 is so young you think you need to have so many things done by then but you really don't and you can always take another acting class and you can always keep going to dance class and you can like keep getting that hands-on learning and I'm sure that's not what kids in school right now want to hear and it's not fair what happened to them but you know I'm like okay you move on you make a podcast out of Romeo and Juliet 
great. You save a bunch of budget money. You don't need a fight director and you make it what it is. At least that's something you can distribute, you know, and right. your grandma can hear it if she can't come to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if what I'm saying makes any sense because if, if I had been in school and a pandemic had hit, I, I might have just been done. I might have just dropped out, been like, all right, and that's a wrap. Yeah, I think it. I, I can't speak for them because I don't know what their day-to-day looks like. Um, but it sounds really challenging. It sounds like not the degree you signed up for. It's mm-hmm. not a degree that can easily be replicated on, with online classes. Um, at this point, they can't change it. And so I hope they're all just trying to make the best out of it because, you know, there is always something you can learn in a situation and they are still getting instruction. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm sure... They are, I'm sure there's still things they can learn and, and it's forcing them to be really creative with the world we're in. And honestly, it would be interesting to see their points of view because someone like me, I'm saying, I didn't really think about theater that much this year. They couldn't avoid it. Mm -hmm. So when theater comes back, I comes back, like Amelia said, whatever that means or is, but it's going to be different because how could it not be and so they had a year of trying all these different ways to make it work in a pandemic in an unprecedented time and so i think they'll have a lot of insight on on how it should or could or function like when it does come back Mm -hmm. i just have a a follow-up question to that um because aside from the obvious uh, you know, social distancing and making sure everyone is safe when theater does live performances do return. Um, what would you both say in terms of theater's responsibility during the the COVID crisis and the political climate that we're now in as a result of things being escalated and and, you know, uh, civil rights and everything like that. I mean, we're, we're living in a time where things have been heightened um, and it's just one after another over and over and over. We've been, get, we're, we've been beaten down as a people um, collectively. And so what would you say would be theater's responsibility during this time? I think during this time, the responsibility is to not do a lot of theater in the traditional sense because it is dangerous right now. Um I know people want to do theater. My heart is so, so sad without it. Um, but I think a lot of the especially like non-union things going on right now, I don't think it's like the greatest push that we can make um, as a theater community, especially because, you know, most of the shows happening right now that are non-equity are like Mamma Mia or Oklahoma or whatever and you know while those shows absolutely sell tickets and I know theaters are trying to keep their lights on and I know that's so so hard given the political climate um I just I don't think we need to do Oklahoma with a bunch of white people anymore like I just think that's got to change and that's got to shift and I think it's been a long time coming and I hope that when everyone is vaccinated and we have herd immunity and we can breathe on each other and spit on each other again, that there is a cultural renaissance. And I think theater is going to be at the heart of that because I think people are going to crave in-person interaction and it's not going to look like how it looked before. I think it's going to look like um, the walking performances that are happening right now in Greenwich Village. I think there's going to be a lot more outdoor theater. I think there's going to be a lot more location-based theater. And I think that's great. I think it's going to be out of the box. Um, but I think there needs to be accountability in the theater community. And especially from the people up at the top who are not just actors trying to get another job to pay their rent. And and hopefully like with this pause people are taking the time to reflect learn listen all of those things and like I hope it doesn't look the same you know because I think that these changes and these things that we have been seeing happen in the past year were building they were gonna happen at some point pandemic or not right but at least now we've had the time as a society and also as like theater on pause to think and reflect and talking about theater 
theater is not happening right now, so theater has to come back in some capacity. And I think it's easier to make a dramatic change when you're starting a new chapter, right? So hopefully they take this time and this like fresh start, so to speak, to actually do something different and and make a lot of change and and be more inclusive and all and and be more progressive and all these things and if they want to do classics like take them turn them on their head they don't have to be done the same way they've been done for hundreds of years like just make them new make them relevant to the time that we're living in now because you kind of got a clean break so to speak so like I hope it's used to the advantage I I would agree uh in and whole, like holistically with what you guys are saying as far as the responsibility of theater. I think that if if an all-white cast uh, performance of Oklahoma would be an illustration of how theater is acting irresponsibly during the pandemic, I think an example of it responding and, and existing responsibly during uh, the climate that we're living in right now would be accentuating works done by uh, people of color and you know really giving a platform for the boy for the voices that are that are hurting um, and that have something very strong to say something that you know um, giving a platform for people that have historically been ignored or put in the minority in the in the, in the theater um, and I think that that would I think that I, I would agree with you guys in that um, I think theater has a huge responsibility, and once we do come return to to live performances, I hope that we are uh, we're all able to to join together and make that happen. Well, I want to give you two a moment to talk about your podcast further, if you would like. Um, I know that you're guests on our podcast, so I only feel it befitting for you two to get a chance to talk about your podcast <laughs> in any way you would like. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks. Do you want to take it, Dobbs, or should I? I got it. Okay. I got it. You just fill in anything that I forget. Sounds good. So our podcast is called Catch Up and Clue In. The first half of it, Dara and I talk about our lives, what's happening in the world. Recently, we've been recapping The Bachelor in what we think is a really hilarious way. You know, we'll see. Um, And then the second half, we usually pick an article or we interview a guest. um, And we just learn about something that we might not have a super in-depth education on. We try to pick issues, um, a wide range of issues. We try to look at the intersections of identity at the heart of all of them. And we usually end up with some pretty lively discussions. Um, you know, we really enjoy getting getting all the way into things um, and then working our way back out again. So you can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at catchupcluein. Send us a DM or you can email us at catchupcluein at gmail.com. She got the spiel. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I would add to that is like, I never wanted this podcast to come across like I'm the teacher and whoever's listening are students because I am not qualified to be a teacher. I don't know any more right. about whatever we're talking about than who's listening. Not to keep referencing everything that's going on in the world, but like I want to keep learning, you know, like I don't want to be stagnant. I want to challenge myself. And so I think we we ha- hope that this podcast is like a, a place where we can all learn together and also do it in a casual, like, not stressful environment. I was the kid that, like, doesn't ask questions in class because I get too anxious. So it's, like, trying to just make it chill, you know? Like, I can say the wrong thing or or say something dumb, and it doesn't matter. We're all just trying to figure it out, like, together. I think the beauty, too, of your two's podcast is that you two being best friends, and I've made this comment to you before, is that you guys have great energy with each other. You've mentioned that these were conversations you two would have had at your kitchen table, and it kind of feels that way. It's almost as if you're just sitting in on a conversation, like I'm in the living room with you guys, just listening to your conversation and just being enraptured by it, which I think is the beauty of it, is that it really feels like genuine, free-form living room conversation, which is awesome and great. I appreciate you saying that. I feel like that's... We've gotten that comment before and it really brings a smile to my face because that's exactly what I would want it to feel like. So Mm -hmm. it's great that that's coming across. It certainly is. Well, is there anything you two would like to bring up in terms of, you know, anything before we close out here in terms of theater, in terms of anything you want to bring up in conversation? Uh, This is the floor for you two to take it away if you would like. 
I don't think mm. I have anything to add. I think I really enjoyed this conversation. Like not thinking about theater. This was a fun it, it was nice to talk about it. It was nice to think about it. It was nice to, you know, catch up with people and, and have a conversation and, you know, kill an hour and I feel good. Mm-hmm. So thank you for having me on. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I too feel encouraged to get to talk to people who are also missing theater and we're, we're all coping in our own ways. Like when the pandemic started, I was taking all this online dance class and then after a couple months I was like I'm just I'm too sad to do this like I don't want to look at the computer and you know step touch in my living room like I can't do this anymore and and I just was very very sad for a long time and it's not gone but there are these other creative avenues that are really great um I am doing a zoom reading of the Heidi Chronicles right now which I was telling Dara it's is interesting because I this whole pandemic I've been like I hate zoom theater it's so dumb and I was like all right just try it see how it is so we've only had two rehearsals we'll see how that goes but you know it's cool to see people creating and and that's also what this podcast is so mm-hmm. thank you again so so much for having us on no oh, thank you as Caleb said it's been a pleasure I and mean, we love having yeah, you two on absolutely. to speak to these things when you know we gain new perspectives like you mentioned and it's great to have multiple voices in on conversations like this Definitely. Speaking of creating, haven't we discussed and deliberated on possibly having you two on doing a scenes with friends in the future? Yes. Dara and I talked about that today. It's funny you mentioned really, really. We floated the idea of getting to do one of our scenes from really, really again and revisit it after four years. Wow. Long time. This is coming full circle. This is great. We didn't. Even I don't know it if is. it's like something you guys would be interested in, but it could be uh, interesting because I haven't looked at the play since I was twenty. Well, just from my perspective, I think that'd be a great choice for a scene selection mm-hmm. because, as we mentioned, it deals with such again difficult content, but content that needs to be voiced. It needs to be brought to light in the various ways that we can bring it to light. So, I mean, I love that play too. I think it's great. So. Really, I think that would be a very good choice. Really, really? Really, really. I had to do it. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well played. Yes. Well, thank you both once again for being on. It was a great time. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Anytime. It was a pleasure to meet you both. (laughs) Yes, you as well. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us once again. And be sure to join us next time for another episode of The Long Monday. But until then, take care. Take care.